Ruben. Good day. And uh, gents, we're all feeling pretty tired today. <laughs> yeah, this is tired like, uh, middle age. Yeah, tired yeah, middle aged men edition. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're not middle aged tonight. We're just old. We just skip straight <laughs> for the old. I think. Yeah. So, uh, Lachlan, you had a, a full on weekend by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just lots of running around, and uh, I think I mentioned to you like one of the kids is sort of snagged chicken pox, which. Uh, you, know, you don't hear about it so often these days because everyone's sort of vaccinated. It doesn't seem to get around as much. But um, anyway, so we got one of ours with it. It's not too bad, but it's one of that and a couple of trips to the doctor. And then <laughs> we're off with uh, some kids activity just for the community thing all day today. So it's a, it's been a big weekend. So uh, I'll Fair be enough. Have you had to last... hang and hit the hay? <laughs> Have you had anyone ask to do a chicken pox party? No. Oh, no. yeah. I remember That's when I was in school, school, people used to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was a yeah, thing. Yeah. I remember yeah. one of my mates getting it, and my parents couldn't get me over there fast enough. <laughs> I was like, just get them into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the kids across the road from us when we were growing up had it. And then, yeah, mum did the same thing, took my sister and I across the road and, uh, yeah, got us to get it. Problem was, my dad hadn't had chicken pox, and then he caught it at the same time as us, and he had a really he rough time. Yeah, yeah, he's wrecked. I've heard wrecked. it knocks around the grown-ups a bit if they haven't had it before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did, he did not have a good time. <laughs> mm. How about how about you, Ruben? You feeling pretty flat too? Uh, I I don't think I've had it quite as hard as you boys, but uh, yeah, tomorrow's Monday, but I mean. It's supposed to feel like Friday already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's all right. We're going to like, bring the energy. <laughs> it feels like Friday, but without the hope of the weekend. Wow. Yeah. It's been a big one. Um yeah, I had a I had a, a friend who I've known uh, pass last night from his battle with COVID, and uh, that sucked. I was pretty upset about that this morning, and the day's been pretty flat as a result of that. But um, had some good bits too. We put up Christmas decorations and um, Christmas trees and all that sort of stuff, and the house looks nice and decorative, much to my particularly my daughter's delight my kids both like it but my daughter was just super excited and um she's so excited about christmas that she even got out these christmas plates they're like porcelain christmas plates that we found somewhere and um she used them for dinner and lunch and hand washed them every time just so they're nice and clean yeah she's a funny kid yeah she that's loves cool it. so what's in your glass tonight mate Ah, well, I actually am dual wielding tonight, so I have the cup of Earl Grey tea in my vintage uh, Andrew Denton's Breakfast Show mug, back from the day. This mug is pretty old. And uh, in my other hand, I have a glass of Japanese whiskey. (laughs) I'm going to do the tea first, and then I'll do the whiskey second. Yeah. Uh, How about you, Lachlan? Mate, I'm uh, similarly uh, old manning tonight by, um, I'm just having a, a coffee 
in my uh, Mandalorian mug, of course. Um, so I don't know if I'm contemporary than Andrew Denton. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll be uh, partaking in the, uh, the the gins or uh, scotch tonight. But uh, I'll be happy with my coffee this time around. How about you, Rubes? Oh, I've got a new one tonight. I'm trying a spiced mm. rum called Baron Samidi. Mm. Ah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. I haven't tried it though. Yeah. How is it? Um, yes, I'm just sort of trying it now. I quite like it. It's got sort of hints of vanilla, which I wasn't expecting. I didn't really see what I just thought I'd try because it, it was the only other one the shop had. But um, yeah, no, it's really good. Very smooth. It's uh, from Bacardi, right? I think. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite sweet. That. Hmm. But um, no, I like it. I'm not disappointed. Well, very good. I'm glad you're not. I'm sort of uh, working my way through some uh, Captain Morgan at the moment, so uh, I think when that one's gone, maybe I give give that one a try. Something different. Hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Hmm. Well, uh, let's uh, let's let's open our books and get into the second half of Chapter Eight of uh, the Republic. Sure. So. Sure well, last week we did. Actually, uh, I was about to say, who's going to cover last week? Did you want to cover that room? Uh, I can wing it. All right, um, so they're going <laughs> through. What are they going through? They're going through uh, f- five different types of government. The idea being, we look at the government and then we see the type of individual that makes up the society that that government governs over. Um, government, government, government. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just have to say it three more times. The um, so in, we went through. Socrates calls his almighty and great and all wonderful government because he made it up uh, aristocracy. And then he reckons below that is something called a timocracy. And then below that is an oligarchy. And we did the timocracy and the oligarchy last week. Uh, And in brief terms, the timocracy is kind of like a a warrior Spartan type state. And the oligarchy is a state that's based around wealth. So the the richer you are, the more powerful you are. And then this week... uh, we're going to go into democracy and tyranny. Mm. Um, but the way he's been structuring it is explaining how one state goes to the next and then what that state is characterized by and then what the, co- the type of person that makes up that kind of state is. And that's sort of the structure he's been using all along. Mm. Yeah, good summary. So uh, I recall starting to read this section of the book and thinking you know, at parts wow <laughs> there's some things in here that sound very familiar um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to diving into this a bit well that'd be interesting I, I mean I reading oligarchy last week I, I, I could see some real parallels to the way that society is structured today in terms of um, you know we don't really have an aristocracy anymore as such mm. but uh it seems to be the people with the money and the businesses now that uh, call the shots, more or less. So I, I was yeah. sort of thinking, yeah, was, you can see the oligarchy operating today. But then as I read this, um, I, I was like, oh, no, no, this, when you start talking about democracy, I'm like, there's a lot of parallels there too. Yeah, I, I just think it's really uh, interesting as we sort of getting in there too. And I thought the order that he called these out in was interesting from a start. Because he's sort of saying like from like one basically progresses down the order to the the worst option, right? And that 
democracy. Yeah, he does present it. Yeah, it was like one step from the bottom, which is like, yeah, interesting. Yeah, he presents it like a hierarchy, but we'll get into it in a minute. But when he finishes um, explaining democracy, he's somewhat fond of it almost. Like he he doesn't, he wouldn't say he speaks highly of it, but Hmm. he he gives, I think he gives it a fair shake. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised that it was so low on his bar as Mm. well. well, especially uh, since he's he... pretty scandalous of the um, uh, oligarchy, and then he's going, "Well, this this is this is one step worse than that," you know, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think when he describes what characterizes democracy, and when you ex- compare that to what he says is justice, yeah, um, you know, because he's it, it kind of you can see why it's a little bit further down the list, but we'll, we'll kind of get into that. So, how does uh, how does it make the shift how do we go from oligarchy to democracy well, it, it gives sort of a bit of a like, I, I suppose like another sort of recap on what oligarchy is and just you know pointing out i guess the fact that it's just the object is to become as wealthy as possible in order to you know obtain the power um and he's just saying that the state will more or less start to run out of control i guess because the leaders won't try and rein this in because it's in their very best interest to let it keep going because they're profiting off of everybody else so that the spendthrift was the term they were using last week mm. um, about the, the person who'd just be you know blowing their cash and so the leaders are making stacks of coin off them so like why are they going to you know try and rein the state in while they're making fat stacks <clears throat> Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the wording in my book right at the start is a lack of restraint in the pursuit of his objective uh, so the oligarchy results in a lack of restraint in the pursuit of its objective of getting mm. as rich as possible so there's no restraint in sort of going after the money mm. um, yeah and I think they're saying that they'll just they'll ruin men and make beggars of them like and, and not give a damn because all that matters is like money is king and uh, if I've got to ruin you in order to get richer then so be it um, so, and I, yeah, but, I think we're um, talking about like, poverty being a thing with that state that's true but what did you think about the way that he says like the, the motivation for ruining people is like how the, how he's getting the money how they're getting the money out of them because from what I could tell it almost sounds like he's describing um, like predatory lending yeah, uh, and I think it was that, but it's also kind of like um, exploiting people's eagerness to try and like, it's it's almost like, and I think we see like a bit of it now in some of our society too now, that, you know, the, the braggers on social media about like trying yeah. to show off how much wealth they've got by just doing dumb stuff with expensive things or something like that. I saw some idiot the other day uh, with a Lamborghini Reventon or something like that, and he's got a pet bear, and the bear was trying to get an apple from inside his Lamborghini, and the bear ripped the door off his Lamborghini. And I was like, you know, this is the kind of dumb shit they're talking about. <laughs> like, okay, they didn't have fancy Lamborghinis back in uh, in his day, but it's the same sort of shit, like dumb, dumb stuff that people do to show off how rich they are. You know, um, 
<laughs> and so I think um, kind of like finding vices and outlets for people to to bask in extravagance and just blow wads of cash. And so people take advantage of this. Go, yeah, sure. You want to do something? Like I'll, I'll I'll come up with some crazy crap to take your money. Yeah. It's like, um, well, the way that my book describes it is, um, owing to their power and wealth as they do, they are unwilling to curtail, curtail by law, the extravagances of youth and prevent them from squandering their money and ruining themselves for it is by loans to the spendthrifts. It is by such loans that spendthrifts are buying up their property and they hope to increase their own wealth. So essentially, they're happy for people to blow their money like that because it's just ending up in their hands. 100%. We had something similar. Not not worded exactly the same, but pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just saying that basically people of good family or what have you just wind up becoming beggars because they've borrowed too much money and gotten into hock and lost their house or what have you. So, um, so I, I think it's like from looking at that summary, then they start to move on to how that's going to start like triggering some transition. Um, they too. Yeah. But they say, uh, he says, um, love of money and adequate self-discipline, um, are two things that can't coexist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, think I think, do you think that's correct? Yeah. I think ours says that uh, there can be no doubt that the love of wealth and the spirit of moderation cannot exist together in citizens of the same state to any considerable extent. One or the other mm. will be disregarded. Yeah. And look, I think he made that observation um, back when we we're looking at democracy as well. Um, because, like, uh, he was talking about how the state is divided between people who either have the moderation and are trying to follow the traditional ways and the others who are, you know, more focused on the gaining of wealth and all that sort of thing. Um, so I guess it's kind of a consistent theme he's, he's sort of stuck with. Um, yeah. And he says, um, he said that it often um, reduces men to poverty who are born for better things. So he's kind of like, mm-hmm. there's a sense that there's a loss of talent because, um, rather than fostering their abilities, you got the youth just giving into extravagances, blowing all their cash and becoming poor. And it's sort of like, I, I can almost see him looking at it going, well, you could have been something great. That could have been a real asset to society, but all you've done is sort of pissed away your youth kind of thing. Yeah, there was that. And I think um, also just from the reading that we did like last week on that, they were sort of pointing out the fact that there's no, there's no drive um, for people to do anything. Cause if they've kind of got money or what have you, you know, they're not putting their efforts into anything cause they're already kind of like rich. So they're not, they're not playing their real part in society. And those who are on the bottom and trying to work oh. their way up are just so like sort of miserly and just focused on the dollars. Um, that I think they're, they're society. Is that the and this is probably, is that what he's describing as drones? They're the drones. Uh, he, he was talking about the drones, I think, yeah, being the, um, the the ones who have, like, lost money and trying to build themselves back up and are just watching yeah. every penny, the, the misers. And, uh, yeah, he does t- he does sort of reference them as, as drones, yeah. Yeah, and mm. he's, like, saying also that they're plotting revolution too, right? Well, yeah, that's what he's sort of leading that, yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. So by drones, I, I've 
I think he's like is implying bees or wasps, that sort of thing, right? Because later he talks yeah. about them having some having stings and some not having stings. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, so like with this, he, yeah, he starts talking about the people, which you know, being the drones, um, starting to feel angry. I guess that they've been taken advantage of and um, getting sort of crushed by the big guy. So they start, to, yeah, yeah, start so to summary. feel that sort of revolution coming. You know. Yeah, some are in debt and some are disenfranchised and some of them are both. Hmm. <laughs> and he descri- hmm. Well, my book describes them as they become people with hatred in their heart. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I think that was saying something along the lines of like, you know, the businessmen that have ruined them will walk past them in the street and like not even acknowledge them. You know, they've taken their money, taken their house or whatever it is and just kind of step over the bodies or whatever. Um, yeah. So did your book so- use the term revolution as well? Yep, I'm pretty sure that word was in there. Yep. Um, See, I think it's interesting. It sort of it makes me think of the whole um, like Marxist socialist thesis, you know? Yeah. That 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 people are going to eventually get stepped on so bad by the uh, you know the bourgeois, the the rich, and the the business owners. That they're going to want revolution, they're going to redistribute the wealth kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a passage here. They talk, um, and still they remain in the city. Uh, there they are, ready to sting and fully armed. And some of them owe money. Some have forfeited their citizenship. And a third class are in both predicaments, and they hate and conspire against those who have got their property and against everybody else, and are eager for revolution. Mm. Yeah. Do you reckon we see any of that now or is it too abstract? I, I, I don't think we do in Australia right now. Um, because I, I think in fairness, it's too prosperous. Um, Mm. it, it may well be a situation we might find if, you know, we end up with a big smashing of like inflation coming through and people being unable to afford mortgages off the back of a recovering economy, you know, you could wind up in that situation. I think, um, if you, uh, sorry, it probably feels like I'm sort of, um, picking on the U S cause I kind of picked on them last week a little bit, right. But that's not the case, but I think like the U S uh, has a, a bigger sort of divide between, um, the wealthy and there's some like real poverty and unemployment in there. And so there, there may be a bit more of that kind of, feeling in the u.s i don't know yeah you're right there's a lot um... more there is a lot more people i mean that we're we're more safety net-ish in australia you know um with healthcare government provided and uh yeah you know I, i think um but even like from a mental health perspective in australia if you have a mental illness you'll be taken to hospital and medicated and looked after until you're good enough to rejoin the community again. Mm. I'm not really sure that that's the case in the States. Um, And, you know, it certainly isn't elsewhere. But I think you could argue you see some of it in Australia with something like, um, I don't know, like when when we went to Mudgee recently, uh, I looked at the property prices out there and I realized I could sell 
you know a, a three-bedroom house in the suburb I live in and go buy 20 hectares you know with a nice place on it and but for someone living in Mudgee to get that level of cash to buy that farm is a really really big lifelong commitment mm. you know whereas our whereas in Sydney that that price for a house is quite low compared to the average so there is like this yeah. massive discrepancy in pricing for real estate in Sydney compared to the rest of New South Wales and New South Wales yeah. you know I think you know you can even see it on the average wages if you google average wage of someone in Sydney and then look at it compared to a rural New South Wales it's, it's substantially higher and there's no signs of it slowing down if anything it's just going to get worse and so eventually I think yeah. you'll have this, this situation where those who want to move into the city or into this, the greater Sydney area can't afford to <clears throat> and uh, those who can't afford to stay in Sydney can for this generation move out and buy somewhere out in the sticks and be okay but I think those who stay in Sydney will probably just end up becoming wealthier and wealthier compared to the rural areas what do you, do you see it sort of playing out that way I, I sort of think it's probably always been that way it, but it's it's just maybe like exacerbated now just because of I, I don't know maybe it's also because we're just at that age where we're sort of watching it a little bit more closely right mm. but I mean if you think about it like when our parents bought houses and the inflation that's happened over those years and what the values have sort of changed by but that's happened in the country as well um, I think that in the country, the average wage has always been lower than what it's been in the city. Um, but the cost of living is so much lower that it probably evens out, if you know what I mean. But you're right. If you want to switch from one to the other, there's a there's a cost involved. But it's even the same if you move from state to state. Like different capital cities have got different costs as well. Um, something we talk about at work because we've got, you know, people working all around the country and... Um, you know, you might have one way that you want to review pay or something, right? And so you have a one stance for all your people and sort of say, look, it's going to be an average um, pay rise of like maybe 2% or something that's going to vary a little bit between different places. That's maybe based on CPI or whatever else. But oh. depending on where you are, the cost of living is going up in different states compared to others. So I don't know. I, I tend to think that stuff probably fluctuates all the time anyway, but... Um, so I, I don't well, know. I'm kind of sitting here wondering if there's a risk of this kind of thing happening with um, the way that money seems to have been siphoned off from small businesses over the last two years. Um, hopefully it doesn't get that bad. But, I mean, with, with all the COVID lockdowns, it's the small businesses that had to shut up shop, whereas the big woolies mm -hmm. and the coals, they kept, they kept powering through. So you can, I can only imagine how much money has been siphoned out of the smaller businesses and the and the and the middle class to these big big companies. Um, hopefully, it doesn't get that bad. But I mean, you could imagine if that can, that trend continued long term, you would have sort of middle class business owners looking at the big, you know, Westfields, uh, you know, Westfields and and um, what do you call it, Coles and Woolies companies, and just going, you just basically stepped on me. You used the government to shut me down and. Now I can't earn a living. So that you, you could see how that, in comparison to what he's describing, that kind of a situation really could um, create resentment and disenfranchisement. 
Hopefully it doesn't. But mm. I can sort of see is that, more that a... pattern as being a, a realistic, like it's sort of a realistic scenario at least. Hmm. Yeah, no, it could be right there. Could be right. I think you're, yeah, we'll, we'll keep going. But, you know, I think it's a good question to ask if it's happening. And I'm sure in places in the world it is. You know, what's relative to us in Australia? I don't know. It, it, there's definitely parts absolutely, in here yeah. that feel exactly right. Um, and I, I, I think there's absolutely like, a risk of it happening, and we yeah. should be eyes yeah. wide open about it, for sure. I just the other thing I wonder about is this is like and I know we keep saying this, this is like a really old book, like yeah. like it's old, um, and like obviously. Plato and Socrates, they've got this method of uh, describing things and coming to conclu like conclusions and describing patterns and stuff. But it seems to me that I wouldn't suggest that they're 100% accurate, but like obviously the economy and world was very different back then in a lot of ways. But I'm just wondering why it is that um, there seems to be so much similarity despite, you know, the eons of time that have passed and, you know, technology is so much different. But these sort of things sort of seem to sort of almost be timeless. I don't, I, I don't know. Have you guys thought about that? Yeah. I, I guess it's like people, right? Because it's all sort of people-centric stuff. And um, I don't know, maybe people haven't changed that much. Other stuff has, but I mean, um, a lot of this is Tibet greed or, you know, caring for your fellow man and all that sort of thing rather than sort of the tools to make it happen. So I think maybe that's why it still kind of rings true because it's it's sort of personality things, I suppose, and morals. Like perhaps human, and perhaps perhaps human nature hasn't changed or not changed much. Mm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're probably not quite so um, outwardly uh, um, bloodthirsty, maybe, but most of the other stuff seems to be pretty uh, <laughs> pretty accurate. Well, I read this next part and I'm like, hmm. So let's have a read. Uh, At present, the governors induced by the motives which I have named treat their subjects badly, while they and their adherents, especially the young men of the governing class, are habituated to leave, lead a life of luxury and idleness, both of the body and mind. They do nothing and are incapable of resisting either pleasure or pain. They get soft, basically. Yeah, they get soft and they lack self-control, discipline, hmm. uh, and they can't say no to anything. You mean like Hunter Biden? <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm actually being a bit slack with that. I'm kind of across it, but not fully. I was thinking more about my own childhood. Um, you know, growing up, I just wanted to play my Sega, listen to music, play basketball, uh, you know, and I was allowed to do it, you know, it's like, you know, go do those things, and, um, yeah, that, I suppose that's true, because I, I don't, I don't know about you, Lachlan, but I know, I know Tim's parents, I know my parents, and we were by no means rich, but we're yeah. a long way from poor, like, we really were, yeah. we really did have, we did, we wanted for nothing, put it that way. Yeah, yeah we're, we're pretty well the same. Um, yeah, so, certainly not uh, rich, pretty classic middle class, I suppose. But 
I, I don't know. I mean, we had pretty simple, um, uh, simple things that we enjoyed, though. You know what I mean? So um, um, we we spent an awful lot of time, you know, just um, you know, uh, you know, gardening and mucking around in the yard and all that sort of stuff too. Like just sort of, you know, making billy carts and put my rose tinted glasses on. They were they were great days. So. Um, <laughs> But I, I remember, I remember getting told over and over again that my childhood was easy, and that, you know, and you, in the moment you don't know that. And as a kid, you're like, "What are you talking about?" Um, but in reflection, like, I think my own kids' childhood is even easier than mine, and mm. um, I think that's happened for four generations in a row. Because I recall, like, my grandfather, his childhood, lived growing up in the country at Tamworth. He'd go and go bush for a couple of days in a row and hunt rabbits and stuff before he was a teenager and uh went off to you know world war Two. and then my dad before he finished high school he he was doing boarding school he was able to um shoot a rifle and you know use a compass and go camping and all that sort of stuff um and then i come along and you know i i didn't shoot a any sort of gun until i was a married married guy and um even now like i'm hopeless with directions <laughs> and uh, <laughs> even with a compass i'd probably get lost so yeah <laughs> and my son would be even worse <laughs> i don't know i guess that stuff's still there if oh, had a freeze oh yeah we have a little bit of latency try try again yep yep I was going to say, I mean, I think that stuff's still available um, to you if you want it, right? Or if you want to expose your, your kids to stuff like that. But it certainly is, um, I think you're right, like each generation is, it, it is getting easier. Um, I mean, um, you, you wouldn't wish a, a world war on anybody, um, but I think that's what really sort of shaped the time of our grandparents and then sort of, change the way they raised their kids our parents you know what i mean yeah because um, uh, my grandfather was very similar to yours in in some sense there you know like uh yeah out rabbiting and stuff like that to help put food on the table or fishing or whatever it was and um yeah very sim simple life i know my, my grandmother's family they grew up quite poor they were uh, a family of uh of 10 and uh they had dirt floors in their house my grandmother told me like when she was growing up so um yeah very different different times you know and that's only a couple of generations so yeah mm. Mm. well um let's keep having a look so where do we want to go from there oh well, i basically uh, from yes. there wrote down that this sort of environment kind of led, leads to a, a bit of a disdain for the poor, basically. There's a little bit section there where it talks about if they go to war together. I couldn't really understand that, but essentially the conclusion is that the, the, the richer people come to this conclusion that the poor, they're not much good. Um, and we've got them, and we've kind of got them where we want them. There's, there's that, and I think they also had that um, situation where you know, if the poor man was fighting alongside the, the rich man who's huffing and puffing and um, has basically gotten fat off the land, it's never fought, had to fight for his for anything before because he's just living this life of privilege. 
that he would look like a soft target and that if he met yeah. him alone in an alleyway, um, he could probably do him under and take his purse, you know what I mean? Because he just couldn't even defend himself. Yeah. Um, but uh, sort of getting at though too is that just, in general, I think like no one cares about any of the virtues. So when we sort of go back to thinking about what that ideal state is and how far it's decayed to get down to this point, like just no one cares about them anymore. So um, they're either distracted mm. by wealth um, or, or the trappings of it um, or have um, gotten so poor and desperate that they, they're going to do whatever they can to get back to the top again. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically I think they're sort of saying that like the, the guardians of the state, which are these this rich class, would just not be able to defend the state at all really because they're, they've let themselves go so much. Yeah, that's um, right. And then, so they then basically come to the conclusion that democracy originates when uh, the poor win and they kill or exile their opponents. Um, yeah, and give 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 the rest equal rights and opportunities of office. So basically, they take away the power from these rich rich oligarchs and um, and sort of take the take the power back. I guess you could say, but then distribute it really badly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is that is that what he says somewhere? That's kind of what it says. I'm just trying to yeah. find it. Um, da, da, da. But they're basically saying that this is how democracy becomes established because everyone, all the poor, they become so many of them, and they basically rise up against the uh, the rich and just go, "No, nah, nuts enough." Well, he sort of uses, uh, I suppose, a little example too, and he talks about sort of sickness. Um, and so he, he yeah, talks about, yeah, that there's, it's, it's like a, a disease within the, in the body and saying, you know, like when you've, you know, you're not looking after yourself, you know, the body becomes diseased and it's saying it's the same with the state. So you've got these, um, it's like an illness within there and that the state's trying to sort of almost like purge itself of that illness, which is, you know, to, to take it back over. Um, mm. So the state falls sick and is at war with itself. I think is the way that he sort of puts it. Um, and so that's how sort of democracy sort of wangles its way in there to try and restore some balance. Yeah. So the part I was talking about, sorry, Ruben, was um, it's not quite how I said it, but he says so. Uh, and then democracy comes into being after the poor have conquered their opponents, slaughtering some and banishing some while to the remainder they give an equal share of freedom and power, and this is the form of government in which the magistrates are commonly elected by lot. Yes, he said, that is the nature of democracy, whether the revolution has been affected by arms, or whether fear has caused the opposite party to withdraw. Ah, right. Um, yeah, no, but I think there actually was... Uh, I'm not 100% sure about this, don't go quoting me, but I think there was actually a time in history where they did select their leaders by, um, yeah, basically by lot or, you know, by rolling a dice essentially or, or drawing straws. Yeah. I don't know how well that worked or how long that lasted, but is that, that was what, a thing at is some Is that what they're saying there or is it? Yeah, that's that's what, I, or I don't know. I think that's what they're referring to. That um... I, I thought they were talking about voting though, but um, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I yeah. thought. I, I'd, I'd actually, I, yeah. I don't think they, well, you know, I don't think they are because, but only because I've sort of heard that 
there were times when that's exactly how they um, selected rulers. Just you know, you might be right because you know they're talking about it. Because if you think about it, if there was voting there, then they'd get through that whole process of um, trying to influence you know the the votes and the whole point. The way they describe this version of democracy is this absolute fairness in the way that they do yep, things. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, so you might be, might I guess the other, the other way that to look at it would be even if there were a vote, you've got so much variety amongst the people, it'd be almost akin to just cast rolling a dice anyway. But I don't think that's what it means. I do think they're actually talking about a literal lot. Yeah, I, it's really interesting, like you're talking about the variety there, because this is something that he really seems to labor the point of um, is the fact that in democracy, it encourages, I guess, like great diversity of the people um, yeah. and that there are people coming from all different sort of walks of life, maybe different regions, and they're all bringing different philosophies and customs um, together. And he's saying, you know, that when they're, you know, looking at like a, making a constitution, they're going to look at it almost like it's a menu. Uh, because they've got yeah. so many different customs and backgrounds. It's like just selecting the favorites off there, you know, to try and sort of um, come up with the constitution. So it, it's almost like he, he sort of admires it, but at the same time, it's, I think he sees it, that there's no strength there because they're so ununified. Um, it's, yeah, it's quite funny the way he puts it. It's, it's kind of like a, it's a bad thing and a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. He starts. He says, "Well, they basically say, well, what kind of a, a state does this? Would this be?'" And that's what he's describing there. He's like saying, "Yeah, it would be very free and very diverse." Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's a men of every different personality, style, and custom sort of all coming together. Um, it, it's funny, like they, they sort of saying, like, like, it's almost like, isn't it quaint? Like, uh, <laughs> it's, like it's like charming. Um, I, I don't quite know. It's, it's kind of like, it's like, a, it's a cute idea. I don't know that you'd really want to do it, but you know, it's a, it's a cute idea. It's a very funny way of kind of putting it. I don't know if maybe I'm feel, feeling um, um, a bit defensive of poor old democracy, but uh, <laughs> I feel like you're taking the piss of it a bit. <laughs> Well, but this, I'll, I'll read a passage. I think it captures what you're saying. It says, This then yep. seems likely to be the fairest of states, being an embroidered robe which is spangled with every sort of flower. And just <laughs> as women and children think a variety of colours to be of all things most charming, so there are many men to whom this state, which is spangled with the manners and characters of mankind, will appear to be the fairest of states. Yeah, so yeah. my reading of that bit was essentially what he's saying is that democracy is the most attractive um, government oh, government because of or society because of you know all all the variety and all the color and all the excitement. Yeah. But I my my reading of that is is saying yes, it's attractive, but it's a superficial, it's a yeah. superficial attractiveness. Because my my book actually inverts what you just said, and at yeah. the, it basically says perhaps most people would find it for this reason, judge it to be the best form of society, like women and children when they see gaily coloured things. Yeah. So yeah. my the way that mine is translated, it's got a little bit more uh, an air of condescension kind of thing. You know, it's like uh, it's, I was it's picking up anyway. Pretty. 
it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, 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 it's kind of it's exciting if you're five. That's sort of <laughs> but he also says straight after that, um, there will be no better place in which to look for a government. And it's like, why? I think they're saying that though, that's, because yeah. there's such variety. That's of, right. Yeah. So he's saying yeah. you might accidentally find it there. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. You're. Oh, you mean? Oh, my read on it was it was like if you're going to set up a government, go there and have a look. But you're right. You might. They might find just pure by few by fluke. And by good, like lucky voting or lot casting, they might end up with a good government. Is that what you, the way yeah, you saw well, it? Yeah, I've listened to this. So it says, <laughs> because of the liberty which reigns there, they have a complete assortment of constitutions. And he who has a mind to establish a state, as we have been doing, must go to a democracy as he would to a bazaar at which they sell them and pick out the one that suits him. Then, when he has <laughs> made his choice, he may have found a state. So he's like, yeah. if you're going to find what we're talking about, We'll find it in a democracy. But then he does, he does go on to say, though, that, you know, um, you might find it there, but you're kind of wasting your time because no one gives a shit. Yeah, because everyone's like, well, you can't tell me what to do. Well, that's yeah, true. Because uh, he, he does, he goes on to say, in this society, you know, if there's a war, you can fight if you want, but if you don't want to, you don't. And, you know, if you want to lead, you can lead, but if you don't want to, you don't. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's that absolute freedom, and um, that seems to be, I think, maybe one of the things he's sort of picking at being its its downfall there, because yeah. he's saying like basically nobody cares, you know, uh, um, and you need people to care at least a little bit, and he's sort of implying yeah. everyone just kind of just does what they want, and they don't like if you're not bothering me, I'm not going to bother you. Which is great, you know. It's kind of like a nice neighbourly thing to do. But sometimes, maybe if there's something bad happening, you really should care and you should do something about it to protect your state and or protect your neighbour or wherever it may be may well be. Mm. Um, yeah, he says it's a wonderfully pleasant way to carry on in the short short term, in the short run, mm. perhaps. So they're both sort of saying it sounds nice, it looks, and it might be nice for a little bit. But the implication there yeah. is long term, it's not sustainable. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I think, yeah, if you've, if you've got it in the way that they describe it, I don't know, um, I, I don't think we experience democracy in the way that he's necessarily painting no. there. Um, Correct. But in the example he paints, you, you can understand where he's getting at. But, um, so let, yeah. yeah, so let, let's move on to the, the manner of the man, of the, the individual. individual, of the democracy. Uh I might just read a little bit and then... Yeah, go. Okay. Consider now, I said, what manner of man the individual is, or rather consider, as in the case of the state, how he comes into being. Very good, he said. Is not this the way? He is the son of the miserly and oligarchical father who has trained him in his own habits? Exactly. And, like his father, he keeps under by force the pleasures of, uh, which are of the spending and not of the getting sort, because those which are called unnecessary? Obviously. Would you like, for the sake of clearness, to distinguish which are the necessary and which are the unnecessary pleasures? I should. Tangent alert! 
Tangent alert. <laughs> it's another it's a short one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a short, short tangent, but you're right. <laughs> Here we go again. It does love a tangent. It's like walking through a farm field, having a conversation, and every time they see a rabbit burrow, they just dive into it. So, um, has anyone got a quick summary of the necessary and unnecessary? Well, look, they, uh, they yeah, use food as an example, right? Um, mm. And saying, say, like, um, you know, the necessary be something that gives satisfaction that's an benefit to you and you, you can't get rid of it. You, you need this thing. Um, and that it might be in your nature to desire what's beneficial and um, necessary for you. So they're talking about food being something that's necessary which is like simple food, we should say, um, that's going to give you sustenance and strength. So um, so it does you good and it's necessary for life. So that would be considered to be, yeah, a, a necessary pleasure. Uh, and they talk about unnecessary pleasures, which are um, something you don't have to have um, and it doesn't necessarily do good or it may in fact do bad. Um, so it might be something where, uh, like if we stuck to food for the example, it might be that like, uh, you know, really rich, um, you know, um, deluxe food that you're having in such and such. And we could use the example that maybe it's full of, uh, you know, fat and salt and all this stuff that tastes good and it's super tasty, but it's, you know, actually not good for you. Um, so you don't really need it. Um, it's just something that you want and maybe it's actually doing yourself some harm. Um, yeah, he says there's the unnecessary are desires that can be got rid of with practice. So but I think yeah. he's saying there is if you're disciplined, you can avoid those things. Um, whereas, obviously, yeah, whereas the desire for food, you can't avoid it because if, if you don't eat, you die. Yep. Yep. I think that's it. Yep. Okay. So it, it's quite long-winded, this part, but... Um, I mean, where do we want to jump in? So, basically, we've got okay. So let's okay. So now they've done this little side side track thing. So okay, again, let us see how the democratical man grows out of the oligarchical. The following, as I suspect, is commonly the process. What is the process? When a young man who has been brought up, as we were just now describing, in a vulgar and miserly way, has tasted drones honey. And has become uh, and has come to associate with fierce and crafty natures who are able to provide for him all sorts of refinements and varieties of pleasure then as you may imagine the change will begin of the oligarchical principle within him to the democratical inevitably and as in the city like was helping like and the change was affected by an alliance from without assisting one division of the citizens so too, the young man is changed by a class of desires coming from without to assist the desires within him, that which is and alike again, helping that which is akin and alike, certainly. And if there be any ally which aids the oligarchical principle within him, whether the influence of a father or of kindred, advising or rebuking him, then there arises in his soul a faction and an opposite faction, and he goes to war with himself. It must be so. I think he's basically describing somebody who is struggles between um, their desires, essentially, isn't he? He's like saying that their, their desires start to control him. Yeah, I, I think um, he's definitely sort of, um, you know, 
giving in, but at the same time, you know, he's like not sure if he should or shouldn't. And so he's just, yeah, arguing within himself around whether, you know, he, he should sort of give in to that temptation or not. And he's got all these other people in there trying to pressure him as well to sort of partake and to just be part of their um, their society that's um, in these vulgar ways, as um, Socrates puts it. Yeah, um, he... Um, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. You go. Oh, yeah, and I've, there's so many descriptive parts here that talk about what, what happens um, when it goes south. Uh, like there's this part here that says, uh, then modesty, which they call silliness, is enormously thrust into exile by them, and temperance, which they nickname unmanliness, is trampled in the mire and cast forth. They persuade men that moderation and orderly expenditure of vulgarity and meanness, and so by the help of a rabble of evil appetites, they drive them beyond the border. There's a similar flavour a little bit further down where he says, um, And when they've emptied and swept clean the soul of him who is now in their power and who is being initiated by them in great mysteries, the next thing is to bring back uh, to their house insolence and anarchy and waste and impudence in bright array, having garlands on their heads and a great company with them, hymning their praises and calling them by sweet names. Insolence they term breeding, and anarchy liberty and waste magnificence and impudence courage and so the young man passes out of his original nature which was trained in the school of necessity into the freedom and libertinism of useless and unnecessary pleasures yeah so, so this I... is the, the transformation from the miserly upbringing to the full oligarchical um uh what did we call him the uh, the spendthrift Right, so you're yeah. sort of having that transition, going from one to the other. So, so they talk about you've had the drone. Basically, honey, miserly. That... Sorry, really basically go. miserly means basically miserly means money and uh, and wealth focused, frugal. stingy kind of. Yeah, frugal, yeah. and then um, spend thrift means uh, you spend your money willy nilly. You know, yeah. uh, I don't think it's supposed to mean generous. I think it's essentially supposed to mean just you know spend money in a crazy way like buying a lamborghini and putting a bear in it yeah exactly yeah because i think when they talk about the miserly father it's it's like he's so focused on gaining wealth that he won't give in to any of those um well, unnecessary pleasures right he's purely focused on the absolutely necessary and will not spend money on anything right but he's taken all the sweetness out of his life because he's so bitter because he's just focused on just amassing wealth and just getting by um that he lives this really dark kind of life mm. and then on the flip side you've got the the spendthrifts who are like the complete opposite and are just like spending that cash and having a great old time getting right. into everything that they can but maybe winding up broke and ending back becoming a drone again um as a miser because they've wrecked their life by blowing all their cash um, i think the also the idea there is the, the kids the, the child of the miser, like they grow up, their dad's stingy and doesn't really indulge in anything. So it's kind of like uh, they see that and then they see, because they're misers, they're rich, they've got a lot of money and then they see all these people out in yeah. societies 
with all this money and they're like, what are you doing with all this money? You're just hoarding it. And then so they kind of get this idea to go and spend and then they get influenced to do that. Um, Mm. That section that you read, Tim, I I liked, my translation actually made a bit more sense to me. Um, So basically what they're doing is um, comparing all these different things. Um, So they call shame silliness. So whereas the miser or the, the you know, the, 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 the person who's a little bit more careful with their money would call um, something shameful, they go, oh, no, that, that's not shame. That, that's, that's silliness. And they call self-control cowardice. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like you can imagine two groups, a group of kids just, just turn 18 and they go to the pub um, and one of them is a bit careful with his money. He's like, oh, no, I'll just get one beer because, you know, I want to keep my money for something else. And his mate's going, you know, don't be a pussy. Have another beer. Don't be a wuss. Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's just money. Yeah. It's that kind of yeah. dynamic, I think. Um, and then later yeah. on, they they call uh, extravagance. So they become insolent, extravagant, and shameless, basically. Hmm. Um, they, call, they call insolence good breeding, license liberty, and extravagance generosity. But do, and do you think you ever and, see oh, this? Sorry, and shamelessness, like, courage. Uh, do you think you see this behaviour in like um, um, kids of rich people sometimes? Like, yeah, they've sort of oh, yeah. Um, grown up wanting nothing, and I don't know, just having unlimited funds at their disposal without really having to, I don't know, work for it or whatever. Well, the one that occurred to me is that my book says they call shamelessness courage. So what I thought of mm. there is like these days you see some like you know imagine a couple of a couple of kids getting on the drink, um, and you know taking their clothes off and doing a nudie run, mm. like you know you might call that shameless, but they go no 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 that was brave because you know he got naked and ran through the park, whereas you know somebody yeah. who's sober and a little bit older would be just like you're an idiot, <laughs> but they call it courage, <laughs> yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Mm. But uh, yeah, and I, I think um, it's interesting. They sort of uh, when they're talking through this stuff too, they they talk about the fact that you know he's sort of battling this idea in his head. And I think they call back to his father as well, saying that his his father had kind of call him out on the behaviour and try and bring him back into line. But uh, he'd go into the this is a term is another terminology I liked um, joining the lotus eaters. So, uh, oh, did you look it up? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. So, it's a, a person who spends time indulging in pleasure and luxury rather than dealing with practical concerns is a lotus eater. <laughs> oh, lotus. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, more or less, his peers are going to be trying to, uh, you know, encourage that bad behavior, ridicule temperance and um, as unmanliness and all those other virtues and try and convert him from the miser to the spendthrift seeking luxury and pleasure. Yeah. Then they go into, so, yeah, maybe even if he starts to come good again, he can't come fully good. Hmm. And I, I enjoyed reading this part because uh, it was kind of hopeful, but then it wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I'll just read this bit. After he lives on spending his money and labor and time on unnecessary pleasures, quite as much as on necessary ones but if he be fortunate and is not too much disordered in his wits when years have elapsed and the heyday of passion is over 
supposing that he then readmits into the city some part of the exiled virtues and does not wholly give himself up to the successes. In that case, he balances his pleasures and lives in a sort of equilibrium, putting the government of himself into the hands of the one which comes first and wins the turn. And when he has had enough of that, then into the hands of another. He despises none of them, but encourages them all equally. Very true. Is that saying basically that he comes basically the way that he achieves balance is just giving into each of his desires, but just giving to them in turn. So, you know, today I, I might drink a little bit too much, but then tomorrow I'll make up for it by exercising or something. I think actually goes on to say that something to that effect, doesn't he? He, he does. Yeah. yeah. He says like, uh, he'll be like drinking wine one day, then having nothing but water the next or something like that. Um, yeah, and he, he refers yes. to it in my book as a, uh, a, a um, an equality of desires. So it's kind of contrasting that against the society where they had this whole idea about freedom and equality and everyone's equal. And he's kind of saying, well, the th- in the individual, what that translates into is is giving your desires equal footing. Hmm. So I, I want to okay. share something quite personal here. I, I wrote oops in this paragraph. Right. <laughs> so because... I'm going to be, I'll read this and I'll explain slightly. So, um, yes, I said, he lives from day to day, indulging the appetite of the hour. And sometimes he is lapped in drink and strains of the flute. Then he becomes a water drinker and tries to get thin. Then he takes a turn of gymnastics, sometimes idling and neglecting everything. Then once more living the life of a philosopher. Often he is busy with politics and starts uh, to his feet and says and does whatever comes into his head. And if he is emulous of anyone who is a warrior, off he is in that direction. Or of men of business, once more in that. His life has neither law nor order, and this uh, distracted existence, he terms joy and bliss and freedom. And so he goes on. Some of those things, I was like, oh, come on. (laughs) It was very funny. I knew you were going to call this one out. It was was very funny. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> particularly the whole um, then becomes a water drinker and tries to get thin. I'm reading yeah. that like three weeks <laughs> into a 12 week weight loss challenge. I'm like, stuff you, Socrates. <laughs> Stop telling me who I am. I know it's weird. <laughs> it was really weird reading that, and you can see from this smorgasbord of distractions I have behind me that I'm easily distracted, and you guys know me really well. I've got musical instruments up here. Yeah. I've got old cars. I've done many different jobs. Mm. Uh, I just felt like when I read that paragraph, I was like, holy crap. Am I like a true democratic man? <laughs> Giving in weird, to the though. whims of your mind. It was weird. <laughs> what thoughts? Thoughts, Ruben? Judge me. <laughs> um, no, 100%. That's a pretty much a good description but i have to say that um i thought the exact same thing oh cool <laughs> like particularly particularly no particularly is like and and next indolence and careless at ease and then a period of philosophic study i find myself yeah. doing that like I'll, I'll hook right into something and i'm like oh this is really important this is really interesting and then a week later i'm like oh, who gives a sh- who gives a crap <laughs> you know and 
you do sort of go through phases and I'm in the same boat as you in terms of fitness, you know, like I'll go through phases where months on end, like that's my focus. I'm like, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get in shape. And then, you know, six months later, you look back and you go, if only I had to kept that up. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel reading that part, Lachlan? Look, very much the same. Um, yeah, because I know, like you'd mentioned it, you didn't mention the passages, you just said that you'd read something in there that you just sort of thought, dang, that that's that's me. And when I read it, I was like, yeah, that's the passage because I feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> so you reckon, you reckon Socrates has nailed us down? Well, in that sense, but I mean, he says it like it's kind of a bad thing though, right? Um, isn't, isn't it? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, um, I, I think it's bad in the, the, okay. Maybe that passage isn't, isn't a bad thing. Right. But it, it's, um, I think more sort of like backtracking just a little bit where he's talking about the fact that you could kind of like your virtues, you would like give in to them as a whim, if you know what I mean. So it's saying that maybe somebody who's from a democratic background or democratic government, or you're the democratic man, that you would not have a set of values for yourself in the way that you would operate. And I don't know that that's um, an accurate portrayal. It's probably true for, for many people who exist in a democratic government, right? But I don't think it's true for everybody. Um, well, yeah, and, I uh, think you're right. I, I suppose think that's an what accurate description. But I think you, I, I actually didn't have thought of that, but I think you're right. But what I thought essentially where his, his objection comes from is you've got to remember his whole idea of the ideal state and the ideal man is you got one thing and you do it well. Unity. He's always like mm -hmm. unity, unity, unity. The state's got to be unified. It's all got to work together. If you have a profession, you do that one thing because if you do that one thing, you'll do it well. Um, so this is like, basically the tail end, the far opposite, which is, I think why, as I said at the start of the our discussion, I think that's why it's second rung. Like it's, it's like right down the bottom because for him, yeah. it's like, it just represents, um, it represents being so far from any kind of, um, any kind of unity and what he would call justice. So I don't understand his reasoning for that. Um, and I'll see if I can explain it well enough. He, he's, my understanding of his pursuit is a pursuit for truth, right? Or knowledge. Mm. So, I mean, when we were talking the other week about how the math that they refer to in here as being specialised and stuff that we teach in primary school now. You know, if, if he was time machined, you know, first of all, I would choose a DeLorean. But if he was time machined to, to right now, um, would he have the same opinion? Because, you know... The, the width of speciality is so much broader now. I mean, um, guys who are surgeon, who are eye surgeons focus only on the eye. Um, but, you know, he would say, well, they're a doctor. You know, would he, when he's talked about, in the past, would he have gone, you know, if, you're, if you study medicine, you should do medicine. Were there specialists back then? Were there guys that focused on just fixing legs? Know what I mean? Like a... Is it possible to be so focused in our current society with everything being so dynamic and, and so many different specializations within each field? I, I've even noticed some of the best specialists who 
or, or, or let's talk like Brian Cox for a minute. Like he's he's a very knowledgeable scientist in his field, but he still looks in other fields. It still investigates them because it complements his science. So you know that would be my argument to Socrates is like you can't be a specialist and know and be the master of it because without knowing the things surrounding it you have an incomplete understanding of that thing mm. does that make sense so yeah so the punchline is like do you think he would still think that way if you could present the wealth of uh, knowledge and types of industries and, and job types that we currently have do you think that he couldn't perceive what we have now being a reality it was sort of more just your blacksmith works with metal a carpenter works with timber a doctor works with bodies it was just that simple level whereas now it's like a metal worker doesn't do everything with metal a metal worker might only do construction steel or might do automotive construction or robotics do you know what I mean yeah for sure um yeah look I, I guess you're right like the times were different back then and that the, the the number of roles that you could perform in a society is much more limited and i guess because of that you knew you needed a certain number of people to do certain tasks in order to have a functioning society because we're working on something like globalization now that makes it quite different and i think mm. um if he was looking at it, us sort of pre-globalization he'd probably still maybe stick to his um statement but in a post-globalized world, it, it probably sort of have to retract that a little bit and say, okay, there's sufficient people in the world to do sufficient tasks. And so maybe that's not such an issue now. I don't know. I think I think that's right. I think you're right, Lachlan. Um, we, because we're living post-industrial revolution and post-automation. Like mm. you can now have two or three people work a farm that can feed, you know, thousands of people back yeah. then you know you, you would probably need a hundred people to work that same farm um so that that leaves a lot of surplus labor without any work so what do all those people do and that's what we see now that's why we have an explosion of entertainment so we have an explosion of uh we, we you know we're a consumer culture now rather than a, a producing culture we have the luxury to do that because we can so easily produce things or we have mm. other countries that can so easily produce things for us. Yeah. I think that's the fundamental difference between the world he lived in and the one we did. Um, but I think your, your description with, I think science in particular would be something where I think he'd stick to his guns because he'd be like, yeah, well, my point still stands because things are, you have to know a lot more and things are a lot more, like knowledge is a lot more specified. So I think he would probably look at that and say, well, that's an example of what I'm talking about. If you mm. want to be a really good physicist, you can't spend half your time on biology and half your time on physics. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. But, um, but I, I just want to rewind a little bit because I, I think we glossed over a point that Lachlan, Lachlan brought up, um, which I thought was, I think, a good critique. Um, Lachlan, you were saying that you can have all these different interests and you can go and do all these different things, but that, that doesn't disqualify you from having an overarching set of principles. Mm. Socrates is basically saying, if this is your temperament, then you're going to just float with the wind and go wherever your desires bring you. But I think yeah. you, can, you can see with society today, you can have all these different interests and try all these different things. 
Um, but that, yeah, that doesn't disqualify you from having an overarching set of principles. So I think, I think I'd agree with no, you there. I, yeah, look, I think that's in the individual. If you're looking at the, at the state, which he's describing, I could maybe understand that argument because what he's saying is because you've come from so many different backgrounds and so many different personalities and all this sort of thing that you don't have a unified set of, of yeah. principles or um, values and that your state is dysfunctional because there aren't common values for your state. Yeah, um, and he's not talking about a democracy as we know. We talk about, I mean, we live in democracies, but they're not democracies, not pure democracies. You know, we have constitutional governments and all that sort of stuff, and we have voting within it. So we call it a democracy, but it's not democracy like he's talking about. He's talking about a pure democracy, even to the yep. point where they select leaders by casting lots, by rolling yep. dice, basically. He's like, so yep. that that's a different proposition to what we're talking about. So, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Like, if that was the reality of the society you lived in, yeah, you, you couldn't really have an overarching principle. No, um, look, I mean, it's in fairness, I think it's something that's, it's worth sort of looking at and understanding because I mean, um, you can question what your own society's set of values are too. And I think, you know, it's an interesting time because we are sort of in a more globalized environment with a lot of people from, you know, different backgrounds, different religions, different philosophies. And um, it's actually it's kind of an interesting thing to think about in this modern era because, you know, I think you probably could have looked at um, a country like Australia and sort of said, I, I think I know what the values are. But now that, you know, we're such a broad multicultural society, you know, you probably have to reevaluate um, what they are now, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, and I'd say that's probably true for a lot of uh countries now as well because it's yeah it's just a global environment rather than such a you know specific country focus i mean each country's still got its flavor um mm. australia certainly has its sort of style um do we have unified values for how all australians feel about you know how we should live our life i'd, I'd say there'd be some that we'd agree on and then there'd be some others that are probably be pretty hotly contested these days yeah well, um, I think we should move on to introducing tyranny, but we'll cover tyranny in next week's episode because I'm just conscious of time. But uh, yeah, I, I think we. Um, I, I reckon we just mentioned tyranny and uh, maybe wrap it up. And I think we maybe next week we can cover tyranny and the tyrannical character somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should point out. Uh, the Book eight doesn't quite go through the tyrannical character anyway, so it, it strolls into book nine via another uh, diversion. So um, another rabbit hole. Another rabbit <laughs> hole. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I reckon just in wrapping up thoughts, I, I think I, I actually think we nailed it in terms of the fact that when he's talking about a democracy, he's not talking about the kind of democracy you're talking about. But when I think he describes that democratic character. Or the kind of person that is produced in in that democratic style society, I think he nails it. I think he's pretty mm. much spot on. Um, what do you guys reckon? 
I think so. I'm really curious actually to understand. I'm almost keen to try and do a little bit of digging as I, as I do every now and then, um, just to understand, to like have a look at a democratic society in ancient Greece. So I, I, I want to see if that's how it did function. Cause yeah. I, I think he's pulling this from an example, right? And, um, yeah, so I'm just curious to see if they really did have a society that functioned like that and how did it work? Um, yeah, it worked. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I do think he. Um, I, I. I do think. I do think his negativity towards it is the fact that he. He really sees unity as being, a, you know, that 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 real principle to aim for, and that, you know, you have a role, and then fulfilling that role is what gives you purpose. And then he sees this kind of living, and he's like, that he's, I think he he doesn't say it, but my interpretation of it is he sees it as an absence, an absence of purpose, because you're not fulfilling a, a purpose or a role, so you're kind of just floating around like a leaf in the wind. I, I agree, and I guess he's also trying to pull it together with that noble lie in his perfect state as well around that overarching sort of philosophy for the for the people as well. So yeah. I think with everything that he, he wants, he wants absolute unity on every level. You know, we are all yeah. fighting towards the exact same thing. There, there is no discrepancy in, in our understanding and, um, yeah. And uh, wherever you've got that sort of, um, misunderstanding or diversion, he, he, he just sees it as a fault. So, mm. well, and then that's a good little intro to tyranny (laughs) (laughs) something goes wrong from democracy (laughs) Um, but we'll look into that next week I reckon Um, and hopefully that'll carry us midway into chapter 9 so just before we sign off let's head on down to our favourite location pub for lots of us and uh, the glass is empty so I think I could almost go with GNT now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's getting later. It'd be nice, but it's an it's an unnecessary desire, mate. Oh, you're so right. <laughs> well, if you mix unnecessary with necessary equally, that means you would have fifty percent ice and fifty percent gin. <laughs> <laughs> so that works I don't know. Whether, I don't know whether Socrates would say your math is on the money there. Uh, (laughs) yeah no i think you would disagree um that was a good convo guys i thank you for opening up about the democracy part a little bit um yeah i've i've been thinking a lot about that since i read it um, because i accidentally read ahead as you know last week and um i've been thinking about this whole simple life thing and as as i've pointed out i've got many things um which i've accrued over the years and i'm kind of considering thinning it out a bit as a result of you know thinking this through have you Mm. guys had any similar thoughts have you sort of assessed have you got too much stuff or you do too many things while you've been chewing on socrates whole simple life is the what a good answer sort of thing i i have to say uh i think about that stuff a bit anyway like before this uh before this book um or before this chapter um yes stuff uh stuff bothers me a bit and uh i don't know i think that's something from my 
my mum's side of the family or something like that. But uh, I don't know, too much stuff, too much clutter. Um, yeah, it. Um, I don't deal with it so well. My wife's side of the family, though, they they got loads of stuff. They like keeping everything. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you get a bit of yin with the yang. But, um, but yeah, no, like I, I think uh, you can't take this stuff with you, right? So if you're getting enjoyment from it, though, I, I don't see a problem with it as long as it's not ruin, uh, running your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think you see people who like, particularly like sort of collectors get sort of obsessed with stuff. And uh, as long as uh, I think stuff is the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the sprinkles on top of the cupcake and it's not the cupcake, then I think you're, uh, I think you're all right. <laughs> oh, there's an Good analogy. analogy. Nice. Yeah. How about yours? Uh, yeah, a couple of things I, I do sort of, I, I, the description, description did sort of strike me a bit too, and it made me sort of think about my own life. And I think, I do think um, I've suffered from a lack of discipline. Um, I mean, self-discipline. So I, I think, particularly when he talks about temperance, I sort of think, well, I, I think I could have benefited from that. Like, particularly when you talk about exercise, like, well, what if I was more disciplined with that? And I just did did do it and continue it i'd probably be in a much better and healthier position than i am now rather than sort of intermittently doing it for a couple of months a year and a couple of months off mm. so um i mean how you actually how you actually foster that in yourself at our age i don't know but i think it's something that you know could be benefit of and the other thing that i noticed too is when he's talking about sort of just indulging those unnecessary desires I think about the amount of time that I've probably wasted over the years just watching movies and TV and video games. Like, I'm not saying those are bad things, but I mean, if you spend, I don't know, let's just say hypothetically speaking, you spent half a day playing a video game, you get to the end of the day, if you look back, if you honestly look back at it, and it's like, well, that might have been fun, but think about all the other things I could have achieved in that time. I think he, I think he's got a fair point about, uh, you know, exercising some self-discipline in that aspect as well. Yeah, well, I, I have. You want to become the miser and uh, not do any of it, though. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah, there's got to be a balance in there somewhere. Like you say, you want the sprinkles. You want it, you want you want those that fun stuff to be the sprinkles, not the uh, not the cupcake. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lachlan, you and I both have toy cars. One of the things I realised a while ago was I love including my kids with that at the moment. So mm. that's why I love having a four seat old car because they can jump in there with me. And we drive around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a good compromise in that that's still self indulging, but it's also giving joy to other people I care about and creating a memory for all of us to reflect on and enjoy, which is a bit different to me just sort of sitting in my man cave by myself on VR or something. You know, at least sure. they're involved and it's an experience thing. So maybe that's maybe that's the answer, mate. Yeah. Experiences shared are experiences doubled or something. Well, I think um, you know, experience is always better than stuff. You know what I mean? If you can use stuff to have an experience, that's cool. But uh <laughs> I feel like that's the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sh and sharing it. And sharing it with uh, with people that are important. Yeah. yeah yeah well uh let's uh let's wrap it up there it feels like a nice place to wrap it up uh, a bit of a long mm. one tonight but complicated 
idea and quite a personal one. So um, for those of you listening, thanks for joining us. Um, we will, well, in theory, we'll be back next week um, to keep it working our way through. We're getting close to Christmas. We will be having a break over that period at some point in time. Um, I'm kind of hopeful that we could have finished the book about two months ago, but I'm like, I don't <laughs> think we're going to finish before Christmas. <laughs> yeah, we just spent a whole night on a quarter of a trapdoor. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, we're, we're slowing down, not speeding up. Yeah, I know there's something <laughs> weird going on. We might we have did so do well a, last week. Yeah, we might have to do a two-part special to catch up or something. But, um, <laughs> when we do catch up face to face as well. Um, I have a surprise for you guys. Compliments of my dear old mum. Interesting. So, I'm intrigued. Very mysterious. But uh, when we catch up face to face, I shall reveal this to the world what the surprise is. Alright, to everyone, thanks for listening. And uh, remember, the Republic wasn't built in a day, and I was a middle aged man. <laughs>